This episode is brought to you by Bumble. So you want to find someone you're compatible with, specifically someone who's ready for a serious connection, totally open to having kids in the future, is a tall rock climbing Libra, and loves rom-coms with vegan pizzas on Tuesdays just as much as you do. Bumble knows that you know exactly what's right for you. So whatever it is you're looking for, Bumble's features can help you find it. Date now on Bumble. You're listening to Mind Over Money, a brand new financial wellbeing podcast. I'll be your host, Gemma Sherlock. You may know me from the mental health podcast, No Really, I'm Fine. Well, I'm back, but for something slightly different. We've teamed up with our friends at NatWest to explore how our finances can have a huge impact on our mental health. Money may seem like the number one concern, but our minds should be a priority. Remember, Mind Over Money. Hello listeners, in this episode, we learn the most common ways financial abuse occurs. Domestic abuse can take many forms. Financial abuse occurs in almost every domestic abuse situation, yet it's not easily recognised. I speak to Liz Thompson, the Director of External Relations at the charity Safe Lives. Safe Lives is dedicated to ending domestic abuse. They work with banks to help those in need and we hear how their participation with NatWest has been helping victims during the pandemic. Hello Gemma, I'm Liz Thompson, Director of External Relations at domestic abuse charity Safe Lives. So do you want to just talk to me a bit about what Safe Lives is and what it does for people and how it helps? Safe Lives is a domestic abuse charity which works across the UK essentially to end domestic abuse. Um, We want to look at the whole person and the whole picture for domestic abuse. Firstly, to make sure that we're increasing safety for survivors and their families sooner and also looking at the perpetrator trying to stop harmful behaviours and, where possible, act before harm happens, looking at prevention and early intervention to stop this from happening to anybody in the future. We do a lot of work bringing together data and evidence, practice expertise, and crucially, the voices of survivors, because they're the people who really know what it's like to make a difference to public policy and practice, and also the response on the ground, training police and first responders to make sure people get the best possible response. And how long have you been involved with the charity fallers? I've been here for about two years now. Do you enjoy it? Is it? I imagine it's, it can be quite tough, but rewarding. It's tough in terms of listening to people's stories about what's happening to them, but it's incredibly rewarding work. And I'm always, every day, overwhelmed by the stories from survivors who are driven almost exclusively by not wanting it to happen to somebody else. They're very brave in sharing their own stories and their driving ambition is to make sure that domestic abuse is ended for everyone and for good. And domestic abuse covers a variation of topics, doesn't it? And it's not just women, it can be men. We'll move on to a bit later financial abuse, but just talk me through some of the things that the charity deals with on a regular basis. 
I think the stories that we hear from domestic abuse victims can be enormously varied. There's the things that everybody knows about, the physical abuse that people experience, but there's also coercive and controlling behaviour, which is harder for people to spot and also sometimes difficult for people when they're in a relationship for a long time to even know that it's happening to them. This is one of the challenges for people that often these relationships start with somebody being very loving and caring and showering you with gifts and support and lots of loving words. And then after a period of time, that can turn into controlling behavior where suddenly you find yourself isolated from friends and family on your own in the house may not be physically abusing you at all but is controlling everything that you do when you go to the loo what you eat what you watch when you leave the house who you see and obviously after a period of time that can be incredibly corrosive in terms of your confidence and your ability to address it and i know we've been in several lockdowns for a while now but i remember going back to march last year there was a real sense of concern wasn't there in the media regarding how lockdown is going to affect those who are already in an abusive relationship? Yes we did we were very concerned about people who are already in a vulnerable situation and we know that you know two million people a year experience domestic abuse it is mostly women but sometimes men and we know that four out of five victims never go to the police and they many people don't know what support is available at the best of times and people are reluctant it feels a shameful thing it's hard to say to somebody that this is what's happening to you and even when you do reach out our research suggests that people seek help an average of five times before they get really effective support so it's it is tough for people but covid of course has created a lot of new pressures 38 percent of services that we've surveyed have said that they've seen an increase in caseloads and when we asked survivors what was going on for them. I think something like 39% said they were afraid of their perpetrator and 56% of people said they were worried about their finances and about half said that they were really fearful about what was the risk for their children. And of course, children aren't just witnesses to domestic abuse, they experience it too. And it has a profound effect on them. I think we know something like one child in every classroom will have experienced domestic abuse from the time they were born, from the time they arrive, to the time they arrive in reception, which is a really shocking statistic. So there's no question that domestic abuse has increased, although it's sometimes harder also for people to reach out for support. If you're at home and you can't leave and your perpetrator can't leave, that's a very difficult situation. You might not feel safe using the telephone. You might not feel safe online. So I suppose our biggest message to people is you're not alone. There is help available. There are people who can support you. And we're really eager to make sure that awareness is right across society so that everyone, every single one of us has a part to play in ending domestic abuse. We can all reach into somebody and say, are you okay? Can I help you? What's going on for you? You can't solve their problem. They may just need somebody to listen to them. But I think you can certainly ask the question. And you know, when you get that sense that something just might not be just quite right, if you get that feeling as a, as a friend or family member or work colleague, you know, maybe just just reach in and see if somebody's doing OK. They might not want to talk to you, but at least they know that they could if you make that clear to them. Yeah, it's obviously a tough situation and a horrible situation to be in. And I imagine, I mean, I've personally experienced a form of domestic abuse before, unfortunately, um, during a previous relationship. It was an emotional form of abuse. So I, I understand how people can feel guilty for almost you feel like you're going behind your loved one's back because 
you know, there's, there's still that strong sense of love there, isn't there? But the person who you love is doing these horrible things. Yeah, well, thank you for sharing that. I know it's really difficult to talk about sometimes. And I think that's one of the complicated things about it, because this is somebody that you love, the bad behaviour becomes associated with that love, sometimes in a very complicated and difficult way. And sometimes it's hard to see the wood for the trees when you're in that situation. I think the other thing, it's not black and white. If you went out on a first date with somebody and you opened the door to them and they punched you in the face, you wouldn't stay with them, would you? Of course, you You wouldn't even go out on a date. But if, as I said, that insidious uh, you know, caring and loving that happens at the beginning, which then can turn into very manipulative and coercive behaviour, is much harder, I think, for people to resist and, as I say, even know that that's going on for them. Yeah, and it's really dangerous, um, isn't it, in, in terms of abuse that's emotional and mental abuse rather than physical. I mean, physical is, of course, dangerous as well. But I mean, in terms of, say, for example, you're in a new relationship and you don't really know what a normal relationship is, that can often be quite dangerous as well because you think what's going on is quite normal. Do you get that quite a lot as well with the charity and from the stories you hear that people seem to think that it's normal until they get to a point where they need to reach out. Yes, that's spot on. I think particularly for younger people, we've been doing a lot of work looking at early intervention and prevention for young people who might be worried about themselves or their friends or indeed worried about their own behaviour because that's the other part of the picture. How do you challenge the perpetrator to change as well? It's not just about the victim leaving. Ideally, in fact, you want the perpetrator to be the one to go away. Why should you have to disrupt your life and change what you're doing because somebody is being abusive to you? You know, they should be the ones who who stop. But I think certainly amongst younger people, it's clear that often the abuse in younger relationships can be more serious. And if you haven't got anything to compare it with, you don't know what's okay and what's not okay. And certainly that's come out in a lot of research that we've been doing recently with young people. They do want support, but they don't recognise the term domestic abuse. That's not how they think about it. Um, You know, they might be more likely to describe it as a toxic relationship for example, and they wouldn't necessarily reach out to traditional, I suppose, for want of a better word, domestic abuse services for support. So one of the things we're looking at at the moment is how can we support young people to support one another? You know, most likely people that they're going to talk to is their best friend or their friend group. So how do we equip them to have those conversations and equip them to know where to go for help or who to talk to about it. Yeah, that's really interesting because even now, I must admit, when you hear the term domestic abuse charities, it does have very serious connotations, doesn't it? So it can be quite scary for some people to reach out in that sense. Yes, it can. And that's the hardest step of all, I guess, saying this is happening to me. It's a very difficult thing for people to talk about. Can feel shameful, can feel as though it's your fault. Uh, And if you are somebody who's talking to someone who is a victim or survivor of domestic abuse, that's one of the most powerful things that you can do is to say that you believe them. Often people recount stories where they feel that they're not going to be believed or their partner makes them think that they won't be believed. It's no point you telling anyone because everyone's going to believe me. Well, what you want to do is make sure that you're reaching into people and saying, you know, it's okay, I'm here to listen and I believe what you say. Yeah, definitely. In terms of financial abuse, though, we've been speaking to the teams at NatWest about some of the stories that they've heard in terms of what can be deemed as as someone who's abusing you financially. Have Safe Lives come across 
any of those situations. Yes, it's very common, sadly. We were talking earlier about emotional abuse, and we know that that's typical in about 90% of cases of domestic abuse, and financial abuse is almost as common. It's very much a feature, whether your money's being controlled, whether loans are being taken out in your name, if you've got a house, if your house is being remortgaged without your knowledge, and even just controlling your actions in the smallest of ways, you know, what you're spending your money on, how you're spending your money, that is sadly very common. So what do you say to people that were in these sorts of situations? I think the first thing to say in terms of if you are um, a victim or a survivor of domestic abuse, if you're in danger, ring 999. That's the first and most important thing. The police are there to help and they will respond to emergency calls. The second thing to say is if you want to talk to somebody, you can also reach out to the National Domestic Abuse Helpline. And the English number for that is 0808 uh, There is help out there. There are specialist services who are able to offer support. And of course, you can go online. Organisations like Surviving Economic Abuse, who we've partnered with, have got lots of resources on their website. Safe Lives has got a lot of resources on our own website about sources of support and things that you can do to plan for your safety and also to deal with some of these financial issues, particularly Surviving Economic Abuse. They've got a lot of information about that. And we worked with NatWest earlier this year with surviving economic abuse to look at the five signs of economic abuse so people can either identify for themselves or somebody might be at risk. So, for instance, restricted spending, people asking to borrow money and not really saying why they need the money, problems with joint finances, noticing perhaps that a partner has taken charge of your joint finances, asking permission to buy things, or odd changes in working habits, you know, somebody leaving a job without explaining why, with lots of excuses to avoid socialising or taking part in things. So I think, you know, keeping an eye out for people and also thinking about your own situation you know, typical or does this not feel okay? So obviously the pandemic and lockdown has been a huge change to everyone's lives. How do you think it's affected those who were already in a unfortunately domestic abusive relationship? And do you think it's perhaps exacerbated or people have been abused more because of of lockdown? Yeah, I think that is the case in some in some situations. It's perhaps harder for people to leave. It's harder for them to reach out to seek help. We know that from our survivor survey, something like 61% of people that we talked to hadn't reached out for help. And the kinds of things that they said to us were for example, I'm not believed, he's extremely manipulating and he seems to turn everyone against me. My partner's temper has increased in lockdown and I'm currently the only thing he can take it out on. And I think those kinds of stories from people about how it's like a pressure cooker, isn't it? You know, neither of you can leave the house. The kids may be home because of lockdown. School's being shut. Uh, You haven't got anywhere to go. You've probably got financial worries. All of those things build up and you're very vulnerable in that situation. You know, tragically, something like two women a week are killed by their partner. And it looks as though the statistics over the last six months suggest that that's increased a bit, which is, you know, the very worst thing, of course, that could happen to anybody in an abusive situation. But as I said at the beginning, something like 38% of services are reporting an increase in demand. So it's very hard to see what's going on behind closed doors. But the fact that 
those referrals are happening, that people are coming forward to services suggests that there is an increase. And I think everyone, whatever your circumstances, has found COVID really challenging. But if you're at home and the one place where you should feel safe isn't safe, that can be terrifying. And have the charity received more calls during the pandemic? We've done a lot of work with services. We don't work directly with victims uh, ourselves, other than the survivors who who work with us on campaigning issues and so on. We work directly with a lot of frontline services and they've definitely reported an increase in calls and engagement from people. And of course, they're finding it challenging to respond because like everybody else, they've got the same issues about not being able to be in an office. They can't see people face to face. Even if they offer support online, that can be that can be quite tough because how do you know that the person that you're talking to is hasn't got somebody, you know, watching over their shoulder? And it's it's true that a lot of perpetrators are highly controlling of everything, you know, monitoring your phone, tracking devices on your car, cameras in the house, you know, those kinds of things. It sounds a bit big brotherish, but it is extraordinary the lengths that some people will go to to exert control over somebody else. Yeah, I can definitely believe that, unfortunately. Going back to people who struggle to reach out to get help and support, do you think it's perhaps because some people are afraid to lose that relationship and they feel like by speaking out it will be the end because they still love the person, they just want things to change slightly and they still want to be with them, but I think it's different for every individual relationship. I think it's hard to kind of say a blanket thing for every relationship. But I think there is often a situation where people want to stay in the relationship. They just want the abuse to stop. They love this person. They want to be with them and they want the abuse to stop. They don't want to be in that situation. I think there are other situations where people are literally terrified and they don't reach out because they are very frightened about what might happen to them. And there's a horrifying statistic that you're more likely to be killed in the six months after you leave an abusive relationship than the time that you're in it for situations that are very, very high risk to the victim of serious harm or murder, which is pretty shocking, really. So I think the person who's best placed to judge their situation is the survivor. You know yourself what the situation is that you're in and whether you think that it's safe to leave or to reach out for help. And that will be different for different situations. For some people, they just want it to stop and they need to work together with services and their partner to find a way forward for them and their kids. For other people, they need to not be with that person. Every situation is different, I guess. If someone's listening right now, Liz, who finds themselves in this situation and they're scared to speak out and they don't know what to do, what advice would you give them? For anybody who's frightened right now and is at real risk of harm, ring 999 and talk to the police. They are there to help. You're not alone and they will reach in to support you. If your situation isn't immediately urgent or immediately at a, at a crisis, there is help available and you can get referrals to local services via the National Domestic Abuse Helpline, um, the English number for which is 0808 2000 247. And they they will answer your call and they will give you some initial support and advice and also point you in the direction of local specialist services. There are brilliant services all over the country with independent domestic violence advisors who will help people who are at very high risk of harm and lots of services who will want to support you, whether that's through your immediate situation or longer term in terms of recovery. And as I say, many of the survivors we work with have passionately led 
campaigns to end domestic abuse or to make changes in the way that we deal with domestic abuse motivated by not wanting it to happen to somebody else. So I know Safe Lives have also been working with NatWest, who we've partnered with for Mind Over Money. So do you want to talk me through that partnership and how it works? Because I know people who are sometimes in financial abusive relationships and situations where they're struggling financially, they'll go to the bank sometimes as well. Where do you guys come in and how does that partnership work? So we've been really pleased to work with NatWest in partnership for the last, I suppose, probably 18 months or so. They first came to us because they wanted our support to work with their customer protection teams to spot the signs of economic abuse and look at their policies and procedures to make sure that they were doing things as effectively as possible in terms of identifying where this abuse is happening because often it can be joint accounts and things like that where there are problems. So they work with us to train their customer protection teams. We worked with them on the five signs of economic abuse campaign with the charity Surviving Economic Abuse. Um, And then as our partnership grew, we realised that there were lots of ways that we could work together in terms of lobbying government for changes in the law, lobbying other banks and organisations to get them to think about economic abuse and make sure that their own practices and procedures are really there to spot what's going on and to help customers. And I'm really pleased to say that the work that we've done so far has resulted in something like a sevenfold increase in customers being helped with economic abuse issues, which is fantastic. And then last summer, in response to the pandemic, NatWest were really clearly committed to this issue. And we worked together with them to make sure there were resources available for people who might be worried at this time. And also, amazingly, they made a £1 million donation to Safe Lives to support survivors of abuse over the next three years. They took their lesson from an Australian bank who'd set up a similar scheme, which offers small scale grants for emergencies, for getting safe and for building resilience, essentially, to recover, supporting people to live the lives that they want after the abuse has happened. And we're just starting to work on that fund at the moment, piloting grant schemes with frontline services. We're working with about nine at the moment across the UK, handing out money directly to survivors to support them with immediate needs. It's a really great scheme and organisations that we've worked with have been really excited at something that's so simple and easy to use. So they've got the money ready to disperse immediately to victims. There's not a long, complicated grants process. It's very light touch. And the kinds of things that we've been able to support have included something like £500 towards the cost of a car to get somebody back into employment after she'd left an abusive relationship couple of hundred pounds to pay moving costs to help somebody move to nearer their family where they could get more support. And even simple things, 50 pounds to pay for a taxi to take a family from an abusive situation to a refuge. And it is extraordinary what a difference small amounts of money make to people. You know, many of us could probably spend 50 quid, you know, with the family on a curry for a takeaway. That could be a life and death changing amount of money for somebody in an abusive situation. So the, the services that we're working with feel that this is a really powerful and immediate way of making a difference to somebody. We've got to be careful about how much we promote the scheme at the moment. It's really exciting that we're piloting it, but we know that the demand out there is enormous 
illness. So we've got to take baby steps in developing it to make sure that that money is going to people who need it most. And also that we're not able to support every single every single person who needs £200 for something, because that would be a lot of people. But we're really excited to be able to make a difference. And NatWest has, um, has made that possible. I think it's back to what I was saying at the beginning about everyone has a part to play in ending domestic abuse, whether that's charities responding on the front line, whether it's police forces or social services, but also civil society, you know, corporate organisations, banks, pharmacies, shops, everybody can play a part in spotting the signs and reaching out to somebody to say, are you okay? Can I help? It's really, really important. So it's great to see NatWest thinking about this and trying to encourage other financial institutions to do the same thing. That's great. And hopefully when it all gets rolling officially, it will encourage more people to not be afraid to call for support. So a great thing. I think that's right. And I think from the pandemic, the most positive thing I suppose that I can say is although there's no question that there's an increase in people experiencing domestic abuse, we have seen that, but there's also an enormous increase in awareness. I think far more people now are aware that domestic abuse is a real issue for hundreds of thousands of people across the country and recognising that it could happen to anybody, it could be anyone in any situation who could experience this old or young rich or poor whoever whoever you are whatever your situation you could be in an abusive relationship and I think the general public awareness that this is a real issue has been a very welcome thing and will help drive real change in the future I think I think that's a good place to end those to you yeah great well it's been really good to talk to you Gemma and thank you for sharing your own experiences I know that's uh, as I say a hard thing to talk about oh no thank you and just to let you know I'm in a happy relationship now with my partner good. So. <laughs> <laughs> well okay Liz thank you so much it's been lovely speaking to well, you thanks very much for talking to me and speak again That was Liz Thompson from Safe Lives. Now here's Kim Chambers, who heads up the customer protection team at NatWest. She says your bank account is one of the easiest ways to control somebody. Let's find out what you can do to stop it. So I'm joined by Kim today. Hi, Kim. Hi. And you're from NatWest, isn't that right? Yes, that's right. I work for the NatWest Group and I'm a customer protection manager. So we're here today to talk about financial abuse and, and, and what that involves and, and how NatWest can, can help with that. So do you want to just talk me through some of the types of financial abuse that you've come across in your role? Yeah, so obviously as a bank, I guess the first thing would be to think is how does the bank get notified of the abuse and how it happens? But the types of abuse that come to to come through to myself would be customers maybe who have reached out because they've left an abusive relationship and they're trying to separate joint finances. It could be somebody who's also left a relationship that hasn't got any identification, any normal documents that they would normally have to open accounts. So we have to support them and trying to get accounts opened to be able to, to manage independently because it, it may be that they've been controlled for a long period of time and, and never actually had the access to do this. We get uh, a lot of the financial abuse cases, sadly, are very much linked to domestic abuse and they often come hand in hand, but not always. Economic abuse, as, as it's the broader term is known, is, is very sadly common and affects an awful lot of people. So the referrals are all different, um, but the underlying fact is that the customer has reached out to 
let us know that in some form or another they have been affected by it and it can sort of show itself in many different ways. So it sounds like unfortunately mainly it's to do with sort of relationship breakdown and on that domestic side of things. Yeah, so my my specific role is definitely financial abuse and intimate relationships. So it would be between partners whereby they may have been together for a long time, you know, some potentially 20, 30 years and not been able to escape that. As a team, we support in all elements of financial abuse. So when you include things like scams, power of attorney abuse, family abuse, but I do specifically support with domestic and financial abuse, as I say, in intimate relationships where we've realised that a lot more work needs to be done, a lot of support needs to be done. We need to understand more about it. But the work that we have done and the work that we can continue to do is making such a massive difference for for our customers. And I imagine, you know, whether it's on on the phone or via email or or a chat service, those conversations must be really um, stressful and really intense at times. It's very difficult because you have to accept that the customers that you're dealing with are going to be in a very heightened sense of stress, you know, or distress, should I say. And sometimes will be their first point of contact because it might be that they realise immediately that they need to safeguard funds because something's happened. Other times it might be that they're not so ready with the information, but are trying to, you know, get us to understand what it is that they need. So each situation is different. The underlying things may be the same, but it affects everybody in different ways. And what might be the big problem for one person, if you can imagine having years of being controlled over what you do, how you spend your money, how you document how you spend your money, for the moment that that survivor is able to actually disclose that this has been happening, that's everything to them. They need to move on from this. So the smallest thing can make such a big difference. It does get distressing because you do not only support from the financial side of things, but we're there to signpost to the relevant support networks that are external to make sure that they're getting help in all of the ways, not just financially, but if there's a physical concern, not all survivors are going to want to involve the police because there's sometimes risk there or they feel that there's going to be risk there. So you have to understand everything on a case-by-case basis to make sure what you're saying is going to support them in the best way, the quickest way, and most importantly, the right way to help them take each step as they can. And it does get distressing. There's no question because when you listen to the stories of what they've had to go through to the point that they've now been able to actually start talking about it, it's quite a difficult place to be, but that's what we're here for, to try and understand that and help them in the best way we possibly can. It's interesting when you mentioned before that for many people, NatWest or any sort of bank would be their first point of call, wouldn't it? So I imagine you guys are linked up with various charities to sort of help you to sort of pass them on to other services as well? Yes, absolutely. So on our online pages, on the NatWest pages, there is a whole area dedicated to the support that you can get with financial abuse. That signposts all the relevant charities, the big charities that they can talk to, the other areas of help that they can get. I have a lot of referrals that will come through from support workers themselves on behalf of customers, on behalf of survivors. So if you can imagine some of the worst cases, as I must stress, each case is as bad as it can be for that individual. And that's the most important thing to understand. And you have to deal with those accordingly. But when we have had situations where survivors have been moved to safe houses or or refuges, we deal directly with the support workers as well to help, whether it's getting accounts opened or split accounts. And we can liaise between all three of us if that's what it is. And that does help as well. So we do an awful lot of work 
with external parties to make sure once again that everything is done properly for that customer. Yeah, I mean, I imagine, for example, in perhaps abusive relationships, people probably do use banks for their sort of manipulation, don't they, or their control over someone? It's one of the easiest ways to control somebody, isn't it? Because if you think your bank account is something that we all depend on, you know, we take it for granted that we can pop to the shop and use our card or we can go and get a coffee, we can go and buy some clothes, we can go out for lunch with our friends. When you are living in an abusive controlling relationship, it can sort of display itself in a number of ways. It could be that actually you can do that, but when you get home, you have to show what you've done. So you're showing your receipts and therefore that causes a knock-on effect because you've had to confirm that you've been out and you've done this. It could be that they don't even have access to their own accounts. It could be that they're just given pocket money to manage. And whilst they might be a joint account holder on a joint account, there are numerous cases I see where that survivor has not been able to log on themselves onto online banking and see what their bank statement is. They've got no access to their income that goes into it. They couldn't see what the other party's spending on it. And actually down to the point that they don't even know how their bills are paid. So the control is in so many ways and it can happen in different ways as well. It can be a gradual thing. It can happen over time. It can be a switch during a relationship. Something could trigger it. But the bank account is the one thing that we all need to have access to funds to to survive, to have our general day-to-day lives to be able to run. We need to be able to have access to this. And when you're relying on somebody to give you pocket money to go out and you're having to explain what you need to spend that on and justify what you're spending that on, that doesn't work. And it's got to be what both parties want in a relationship. It might be a normal situation for myself, let's say that I run the bills because I work for the bank. I know with the bills and I try and keep an eye on those. And my husband doesn't. But if it was, you know, like that and my husband wanted to and I wasn't letting him, then that would be wrong and that would be controlling behavior mm. because I'm not allowing him to see it. So it's very different. And yeah, it, as you say, it, the impact from a bank's point of view, from a financial point of view is huge to the point that equally, if they're not even allowed to have their own accounts, I've had plenty of situations where customers have left abusive relationships, both financial and and physically abusive, and they've never had their own bank account or they did, you know, 20 years ago, and then that was closed and they've never managed on their own. So it is quite a uh, a big thing that we see, unfortunately. I know we've briefly touched upon this, but what are some of the ways then that NatWest can support these people and what is the process? So the process within our online pages, so on natwest.com, we have a form where customers can actually complete themselves and tell us when is a good time to contact them. So it's not asking them for a lot of information. It's asking for a name, an address and a safe time or safe way to contact. And then those forms come through to myself and I will make contact with them at the specified time that they want. So that can help when they're not actually reaching out to the bank by normal channels because it might be that that's not a safe way to do so. So they can't make those phone calls, but it could be that they can send this form through to us saying, please, can you contact me on this email address? It's my work email address or this telephone number because it's a safe time for you to talk to me on Tuesday between you know one and two. That's an extremely, if it's the right word, that's an extremely popular way for customers to contact us when they're not visiting the branches. And certainly with the last 12 months as they've been, you can imagine there's been an increase in those. So that page on our website is vital. It offers all of the information, but most importantly, it gets you a way in to myself and to my team where we can support. 
our branch colleagues where there are, and we do get an awful lot that do go into a branch and disclose maybe a little bit about their situation, or they'll say something that our branch colleagues are, are trained to understand that might be indicating that there's a problem. So they will get referred into our team as well, into me specifically, so that then I can pick up and make the contact. And that would be the same across our online channels and our telephony channels as well. So the referrals are made specifically with enough information for me to then know when is a good time to contact and then be able to take further support measures for them. When you mentioned that staff are trained to recognise, perhaps if they're not saying too much, is it certain phrases or just the way someone's behaving? It would be, if you imagine if somebody comes in, I guess, so yes, I mean that my team specifically, we've undergone training from safe lives and surviving economic abuse. And we've, we've obviously rolled that out to other colleagues on, on the signs to spot. And if you imagine somebody going into a branch or making the telephone call to the bank where they might say, I need to change my address, but I don't want the other party to know. You know, they might not say because I'm in an abusive situation or I need to order a card, but I need that card to go to the branch, not to my home address. I need to stop my online banking. It's all about those questions that for most of us, we wouldn't think about adding that extra sentence in, you know, I want the card to go to branch. So it's why does that card need to go to branch? And it's being able to open up a conversation without putting that customer in a difficult situation. So what you find is a lot of the customers that we support, that I support, they're experts in their own situation. So they know their situation and they're now more often than not, we're supporting at the time that they've already left that situation, that abusive relationship, or that they are about to do it. So it's something that we can then manage through. And it's it's thinking about if they have disclosed to us, so we will get many situations where a customer is upfront and says, this is my situation, I need to do this, that would automatically get referred to our team. And that's, you know, obviously what we're trying to do is make sure that they get referred into myself so that we can then have that conversation with the customer if we've not had that initial conversation and understand exactly what they're going through, understand exactly what the consequences will be for what they're asking us to do. Because there will be some circumstances where they might want us to do something, but we realise that that could cause an adverse effect. Somebody saying that I'm looking to leave an abusive situation or I'm looking to leave my husband on this day because this has happened and I need the account to stop. For instance, if that account was stopped prior to them being safe, then it would trigger to the remaining party that something is going on and that would put them in a very high risk situation. So we need to manage it through. It comes through by many different ways and then it's up to myself to understand completely because every single time is different and it's understanding completely what the impact on that survivor is. And how long have you been doing this for then, Kim? So I've worked in the specialist team now for five and a half years. And as that was the broader financial abuse team, as, as I mentioned before, so sadly, financial abuse comes in all shapes and sizes. We still do a huge amount around scams, about education, power of attorney, situations, family abuse. The domestic abuse, we've always done that, but it became more of a specialist role about 15, 16 months ago when it was very evident that banks and building societies had to do more to support survivors and help them through this because as we've mentioned several times or I've mentioned several times the banking is a necessity of life it's it's a necessity for independence and managing so it's become very much something that we need to keep learning on when we really started understanding more around what needed to be done and when I look at how the the role has evolved over the last 15 months it's quite incredible what you know what what 
what survivors go through and, and the small things that we've learned that we can support with. And, and we have come on a great deal from that down to even helping customers be removed from joint accounts when normally it's both parties need to be in a branch and both parties need to sign a form. It's not going to be possible in these situations. So it's understanding what we can do around that to help. And that's where this has really definitely grown and will continue to grow because we need to understand more and more. Sorry if this sounds like a really stupid question, but I was just wondering what you mean when you say power of attorney. So the power of attorney would be more, that's that's not along the domestic abuse size. Power of attorney is when um, you have control over somebody's account who maybe doesn't have capacity. So that's a legal document that you get as a power of attorney and you are able to manage that person's finances because they might not be able to do so themselves. It might be just in case a time comes in their life that they're not able to do it themselves, you know, through heart attack, stroke, accident, illness. Normally, you see the power of attorneys will come onto accounts when a customer's maybe a bit older and you're helping them manage their money. But power of attorney abuse would be where they abuse their rights as an attorney because when they're actually looking after somebody's money, everything they do would be in the best interest of the person they're supporting. And sadly, like anything else with financial abuse, you will always get situations where somebody takes advantage of that. They'll have a legal document to confirm they're able to make financial decisions on behalf of that person, but they're not using their money to the reasons that they should be. So another form of abuse, really. I imagine, Kim, it's quite a rewarding job, though, for yourself. Hugely, yeah. It is um, it is hugely rewarding, especially when I can continue that contact and know that, know that we've made such a difference in their lives. And they are able to move on. I've, I've got some cases whereby customers were moved into safe houses, partners weren't able to know where they were, and they've been waiting to be rehoused, relocated, bank accounts set up. And when you can actually see from that very initial contact to sometimes several weeks, sometimes several months later, they're now managing and got their own control again, working again if, if they weren't working or bringing up the children on their own, but they're actually moved away. So yeah, the reward is great in as much as you do feel like you're making a difference and, and that's the purpose of it. I'm very passionate about that. I want to make a difference. I want to help. And as I said, that there's always there's always going to be more that we need to do and there's, there's ongoing work because we need to listen to the survivors and understand what hurdles they've come up against during either being in that relationship or trying to to leave that relationship because every customer story will be different. And I don't know about you, Kim, but for example, in my job as a journalist, when you're doing these sorts of stories, it can be hard sometimes to switch off when, when you finish work because, you know, we're only human and we uh, we do uh, think about these people. Is it the same for you? It is, absolutely. There will always be some certain situations that sit with you for a long time. Keeping in touch with them helps that because you can manage it through. I'm very fortunate to work in an amazing team with a, an amazing line manager who's very aware of the work that we all do and, and the challenges that we all face because of the effects on our customers that you know each thing has, whether that's with the domestic abuse or, or financial abuse scams. If somebody loses money to a romance scam, you know the effect on those customers is huge. It's life changing. So we are very fortunate that we're a very close team. We talk to each other, and as I say, a, a fantastic line manager that supports supports us in all the ways that, that can possibly be done. So our well-being, we've learned to be resilient, I guess. You've got to be resilient to be able to deal with this. As there are so many jobs out there where you have to be resilient, you learn to do that so that you can have the best impact on what you're doing, if, if that sort of makes sense. It's just to be able to do what you can do in the best way you possibly can. But we are human, or I'm certainly human, and <laughs> I do need to take time out every now and then to just say, wow, that is that's pretty awful. I'm just going to take myself away from this, go for a walk with a dog, clear my head and then 
right, now what can I do to help and, and be proactive here to make sure I do the right thing? Yeah, it's been really interesting. And there's so many sides of financial abuse that I wasn't aware of. I've learned today, for example, a power of attorney. I have heard that phrase before, um, but I've never really looked into it, I suppose, because it's never really affected me. And power of attorney is a great thing. The idea is you're there to help somebody. You're there to help somebody manage their money when they're not able to anymore. That's that's what it is. It's a, you know, it's a legal document that you are put in place to do it. And when somebody gives you the right to do that. So yeah, when that's abused, when maybe that person's lost capacity, it's quite horrendous. Yeah, exactly. And it's just interesting how many different avenues, you know, with finances can affect mental health really. So yeah, it's nice to know that you and, and, and the team are out there helping people through it. Yeah, definitely. And it's um, it's definitely a job I feel very proud to do and hope that we can continue to improve and, and make a difference to more and more people. And just before we go, do you have a number to hand or anything like that that people can phone to get in touch with the team? Or They don't phone us directly. So the way to do it would be always phone the bank or go into a branch. So the main telephone number, which was always on the back of customers' cards that you would phone, and then we would get the referrals in. The reason we do that is because we've got to make sure that I'm there to support the customers and be able to prioritise, you know, how that support is given. It's very difficult if I was taking ongoing phone calls without knowing any background of a case. So that's the best way to do it. But the other brilliant way is the online form on the NatWest website on the financial abuse pages, because that will automatically come through to myself and my team. And then we can pick up. And when I'm supporting customers, they have my direct contact. I think I've got to be clear with that. Once they've spoken to me, they will have my direct contact and not have to explain their story over and over again. But ultimately, it is a huge area. There's an awful lot of customers that need support with this, but we just need to make sure that we're there to support the customers as we can in, in the best priority way that we can do that. And that's a lovely way to end. Do you, do you Kim? <laughs> yeah, I do. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to Minds Over Money. If you would like more information on ways you can help your financial well-being, then reach out to your bank. If you are struggling financially, then your bank should be your first point of call. They are there to help. You can also reach out to mental health charities such as Rethink Mental Illness via their website at rethink.org. Citizens Advice also offer free advice to help you find a way forward whatever the problem visit their website via www.citizensadvice.org.uk or call 0800-144-8848. Thank you for listening to Minds Over Money. If you would like more information on ways you can help your financial well-being, then reach out to your bank. If you are struggling financially, then your bank should be your first point of call. They are there to help. You can also reach out to mental health charities such as Rethink Mental Illness via their website at rethink.org. Citizens Advice also offer free advice to help you find a way forward, whatever the problem. Visit their website via citizensadvice.org.uk or call 0800 144 8848. That's 0800 144 8848.